saying, God, you're God and I'm not. You understand everything and I don't even know what I don't know. So I'm just going to do what you're asking me. And Lord, I'm going to ask you to bring my heart around so that at some point maybe I feel like doing it. And Lord, I'm going to do it just because I know you know what you're doing and I really don't know. So over and over, as the Lord commanded Moses, if God's word says it, we should just simply do it. Over and over again in these final verses of the book of Exodus, the words, as the Lord commanded Moses, will come up. God said it, and Moses and the people obeyed. They may not have understood, but they proceeded. This simple obedience is a testimony to their faith in their Redeemer. Pastor Daniel will ask you today what God is requesting of you. Are you willing to proceed with his plan in obedience? Have faith. Your God will come through. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Exodus chapter 40 as he continues his message, The Tabernacle Ascent. We're the people who've been touched by the Spirit of God, set apart, consecrated, as holy as our Lord is holy. Now, don't get me wrong. I realize... It's hard to unlearn a lifetime of identity in one day. And that's why that, it's called a process of sanctification. But the best way to grow in your consecration is to do it in community. That's why when we start to struggle with our temptations, we pull ourselves out of fellowship, right? Isn't that why? Because when you're in close proximity with other people who God is working on, they'll look at you like, dude, what's going on with you? Or you gals, they wouldn't call you dude, or they shouldn't, you know? They say, sister, what's going on with you? So we don't want to, we don't want to have those questions asked, so we pull ourselves away. But really, the, the safety of community is that when you start to pull yourself away, they say, where are you going? See, God is gracious with us. And that's why as a church, I think some of you here tonight need to join groups here at Crossroads. You need to get into intimate community with other believers so that they can be a protection, a family for you to grow with, to be nurtured by. That when you start getting all squirrely, like we all get, they say, hey, what's up? Why are you getting all squirrely? We need that, don't we? Because unlearning a lifetime of identity built on non-consecration is not the neatest thing. But God's kids, by his grace, go through that process. What's beautiful is not only that, not only do all the different pieces of the tabernacle get anointed, but also notice the priests get anointed as well. Look at what it says in verse 12. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. I like that. Give them a shower. That's what that is. Shower those dudes. Can I get an amen? You know they say that cleanliness is next to godliness, right? That's not in the Bible. So if you're not a showerer, please. Pretty, pretty please. 
<laughs> Maybe that's a word. No. First wash them, he says. Then in 13, put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as a priest. So now these special garments that we, we saw the design for them. We saw that they made them. Now it says, look, first wash them, then put the garments on them and anoint him that he may serve or minister to me as priest. Now notice that line. Every time we see that, I bring this up. Notice it says, who did, who did the priest minister to? To me. Our ministry as the people of God is not primarily to people. It's to the Lord. And we minister to the Lord by serving people. But you know that you're serving people and not the Lord is if someone doesn't give you the reinforcement you want from them, you stop serving them. Any of us who've had a job or been married for more than about two weeks, you know what that's like, right? You spouses really know what it's like because you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to bless my spouse and you bend over backwards. They don't even notice. And you're like, yeah, well, forget that, right? Yeah, am I the only one who's, who's responded that way? Yeah, I'm the, I'm the sinner. You guys are saints. That's right. But see, you don't serve your spouse. You serve the Lord. You minister to the Lord and your spouse gets the benefit. You don't minister to your boss or to your coworkers. You do it as unto the Lord and the people you work with get the benefit. The priests of the Lord minister to him and the people around them get served. What happens for us is that when that reality gets off, then we're like, dude, forget this. Why would I want to be a servant? They don't deserve it. But then you start to think about it. You're like, well, Jesus is the great high priest and he died for me and I didn't deserve it. But Jesus did it for the joy that was set before him, for the glory of God. When Jesus was on the cross, he wasn't thinking about us. He was thinking about his father. He was like, I'm doing this for you, Lord. And we all and untold multitudes have gotten that benefit. So as priests, a kingdom of priests of the most high God, don't serve people, serve the Lord. And the Lord will have you serve people. And if they never say thank you, you're not looking for that from them because the Lord is just saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. It's amazing when you do those little things as unto the Lord and the Lord just loves it. He's like, that's my kid. Look at him go. It doesn't matter if anybody notices because the one person who it really matters, who we're really doing it for, he sees what you do in secret and he rewards you just because you're like, Lord, I just want to be like you. And when we see somebody in need and we help them, we don't need them to say thank you because we just want to see someone in need be blessed because that's who God is. So the priests, they don't minister to the people, although they do, they minister unto me, it says. So brothers and sisters, don't serve people. Serve the Lord. And I believe if you serve the Lord, guess what? He's going to have you loving on serving all sorts of people. But you don't do it for them, you do it for him. And he's the one who gets the glory and the benefit from it. Now, notice, of course, we get to Aaron's sons, verse 14 and 15. They're going to be serving as priests as well. And verse 16, I love it. And Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. Now, I don't write in my Bible, but if you like to write in your neighbor's Bible, you put some arrows there and write obedience 101 right there. Moses did what God asked him to do. Whatever God said, Moses did it. And so much of the Christian life is about simple obedience, more than we'd even like to realize. But we're all rebellious, aren't we? 
We struggle with rebellion. God says, I want you to do this. We're like, well, yeah, Lord, that's great, but I got another plan. Every time I see that in the Bible where someone is simply obedient, I think, man, Lord, I want to be like that when I grow up. God said, I want you to do it. Moses did it. He did it. Now, look what happens in verse 17. And it came to pass in the first day of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. So Moses raised up the tabernacle, fastened its sockets, set up its boards, put up its bars, and raised up its pillars. Verse 19, and he spread out the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on top of it as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 20, he took the testimony and put it into the ark, inserted the poles through the rings of the ark, and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle, hung up the veil, of the covering and partitioned off the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 22, and he put the table in the tabernacle of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the veil, and he set the bread in order upon it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he put the lampstand in the tabernacle of meeting across from the table on the south side of the tabernacle and he lit the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the gold altar in the tabernacle of meeting in front of the veil and he burned sweet incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 28, he hung up the screen at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and he put the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered upon it the burnt offering and grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the labor between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water there for washing. And Moses, Aaron, and his sons would wash their hands and their feet with water from it. Whenever they went into the tabernacle of meeting and when they came near the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the screen of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. So it's interesting that for the first 16 verses, the Lord says, this is how I want you to put it up. Then from verses 17 to 33, we simply get Moses putting it up. Now, notice the recurring theme that I took the liberty of emphasizing each time we read it. It's about almost every other or every third verse. As the Lord had commanded Moses. As I like to say, when the Holy Spirit is redundant, it's always for a good reason. The Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit chooses to repeat himself, we want to take notice. And each, almost every other or every third line, we get that he did it as the Lord had commanded Moses. According to the word of God, they did it according to the word of God. And so I've already made the point about obedience, so I'm not going to keep belaboring it. But once again, when God's word says it, we should just simply do it. Now, I know someone's going to say, well, you know, I just don't understand why it's in there. Or what if I don't feel it? That's a, that's a normal one. I always say the same thing. Be simply obedient and ask God to bring your heart around and explain to you what you need to know. That's not an easy thing, but that's what faith is all about. Faith is simply saying, God, you're God and I'm not. You understand everything and I don't even know what I don't know. So I'm just going to do what you're asking me. And Lord, I'm going to ask you to bring my heart around so that at some point maybe I feel like doing it. 
And Lord, I'm going to do it just because I know you know what you're doing and I really don't know. So over and over, as the Lord commanded Moses, if God's word says it, we should just simply do it. And as we're being obedient to the Lord, then get some clarification. I've been trying to teach my kids that. It's a tall order. I'll say, look, if I ask you to clean up your room, if you don't understand why, start cleaning it up and I'll explain to you as you're cleaning it up. And it's funny because they're like, well, I don't understand why I have to start doing it and then you explain it to me. And I'm like, well, because I'm your parent and you think you should have a clean room and it also teaches responsibility, so get cleaning. But for so many of us, we don't feel like it or we don't understand it, so we just say, I'm not going to do it. But the children of Israel weren't that way. They've made a lot of mistakes already. You get into Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they're going to make a lot more mistakes. The whole Old Testament is about the struggle of the people of God to do the will of God. But in these cases, you're like, wow, they're just doing what they're supposed to do. And everything's going well for them. And every time they start doing, going their own way, everything starts going rough for them. Because there is a blessing to obedience. Now, we don't get saved by our obedience, but we experience all of God's blessings through obedience. There's nothing more beautiful when you do what God asks you to do and he blows your mind by doing something. You're like, wow, Lord, that was amazing. And there's nothing worse, and I've definitely experienced this, when you do what you know you're not supposed to do and then everything goes really well for you and you think to yourself, wow, that's really weird. I was totally rebellious and God still blessed me. And then you feel conflicted about the good thing that just happened. Or when you do something totally rebellious and everything falls apart, and you want to blame God, but deep down you know that's not God's fault. That's my fault. I did that. That was my mistake. So just simply be obedient. The second thing that was interesting about that section, that when they set up, of course, the Ark of the Covenant, you notice that they put the testimony inside it? We hadn't had that before. So those two tablets of stone, the remade tablets, remember the first tablet? got broken because of the children of Israel's idolatry with the golden calf. A new set of stones were made with the 10 words, the 10 commandments on it. Those go inside the Ark of the Covenant. And then the mercy seat, the atonement cover goes on top. Ultimately, two other things are going to end up in the Ark of the Covenant. A jar of the manna, the bread from heaven, and also Aaron's budded rod, which we're going to get to in the book of Numbers. All of these things are inside the Ark of the Covenant. And all of those things do absolutely point to Jesus. Why does the law point to Jesus? Because Jesus was the only person who ever fulfilled the law. He was perfect, not only in action, but in intention and motivation before the Lord. The manna, why is that important? Because Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Your father ate manna from heaven and they're dead. He who eats of me will never die. So Jesus is the bread of life. And of course, Aaron's butted rod. There's going to be a challenge, one of the many challenges against the authority of Moses and Aaron. And God says, listen, I want you to take all your walking sticks. I want you to put them into the tabernacle. And tomorrow morning, which everyone blossoms with blooms, that's the one I've chosen. And so all the leaders put their walking sticks in. And the only one that butted was Aaron's. And what it means is there's a lot of people who want to say, it's my way. I know the right way. But the only one who God has chosen is Jesus. And there's a lot of people who say, oh, you need to follow my teaching. You need to follow my way. The only one whose way God accepts 
is the way of Jesus. That's the Christian message. And all of these things end up in the Ark of the Covenant. All of it pointing, of course, to Jesus Christ. So the Ark goes up. It says that Moses finished the work, which is, it's a beautiful picture, really. It reminds you, in a way, of the days of creation, where God finished the work and he rested on the seventh day. It's a fascinating picture, where now Moses finishes the work. It's all assembled. The earthly model of the heavenly reality is there. And it says, Moses finished the work. Now, look at what happens in verse 34. Nobody was expecting this. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel will go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day And fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Now, this is amazing because they finished getting this thing up. Moses is done, but God's not done yet. They did what they were asked of, but God still had a work he wanted to do. And you think about this as the climax of the book of Exodus That there is a preparation time. There is a nurturing time. It's not always harvest time. For some of us right now, we're just getting the blueprints for what God wants to do. Others of us, we're in the building the pieces of furniture phase. Others of us, we're in the process of constructing and erecting the things God has asked of us. But really, when the magic happens, is not what we do, but when God puts his stamp of approval on it. And so all of a sudden, as this thing goes up, Moses is like... Okay, it's done. God's like, I ain't done yet. I want to show you how special this is, that this cloud, the visible presence of the Lord, the Shekinah glory. So we like to say Shekinah. That's English for, in, in Hebrew, you always put the syllable on the last syllable. So it should be the Shekinah. That's the right way to say it. But it's this visible, tangible presence of the glory of God. That comes on down. And you got to think, this is the place where God's going to meet with man. And they have all these things they got to do. And they can't even go into the tabernacle. Like God has completely locked them out. Have you thought about what that means? Like you got to imagine the children of Israel. Like, okay, we're going to serve the Lord. We got the priests. We got all the furniture. Let's get busy serving the Lord. And the Lord's like, nope. That's my house. What's going on here is God saying, look, I'm moving in. I'm moving in. And you're not allowed in yet. I got to get this place set up. As I was reflecting on this with the children of Israel, and I was thinking about the presence of the Holy Spirit in the midst of the people of God, I really believe that God, when we gather together, I believe that God wants to manifest his glory in the midst of the people of God in a very special way. And it's interesting, you read the, the letter of Paul to the Corinthians, the church in Corinth had lots of issues. But they were always coming to worship prepared. Everybody had a psalm. Everybody had a hymn. Everybody had a word from the Lord. And I believe that God wants us as a community to start preparing ourselves for worship. Like not coming to worship, being like, man, I hope I can worship. But praying all week that when we gather together on Sundays and Wednesdays, 
that God's presence falls in a unique and glorious way. Because I'll be honest with you, I've read all sorts of books on church growth. I mean, everyone's got a, a theory. There's nothing more attractive and terrifying than when the glory of the Lord falls in the midst of a people. And no matter where you're coming from, no matter what your persuasion is, when the presence of God shows up in the midst of the people of God, there's going to be all sorts of people who are like, I want to be a part of that. But what's interesting is that I believe that the knobs for that, God already says he wants to be in our midst. He's already taken care of that. We need to say, Lord, I w- we want to be a people that you not just visit, but who you dwell with. I like to say, we don't want to be a place for God's visitation. We want to be a place for God's habitation. That God's presence can dwell in our midst so profoundly. That people come like, hey, I don't believe in Jesus, but they're there and that God's touching them because he's there, powerful. And, I'm, and what's beautiful is here at Crossroads, I hear that a lot from people. Man, the presence of God is so strong here. And I'm just thinking to myself, Lord, I believe it could be even more so. More of your presence, more of your touch, more of your power. The glory of the Lord fell on this tabernacle. The same thing happens when Solomon completed and dedicated the temple. You can look at it in 1 Kings chapter 8. This cloud falls. And what ends up happening is, is this cloud by day and that pillar of fire by night end up being the guideposts for the children of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness. When the clouds started to move, the children of Israel started to pack up. Why? Because as many as are led by the Spirit of God, the Bible says, these are the sons and daughters of God. I want to close with a, just a simple encouragement for us. We live in a frantic world where we only feel like life's happening as if we're kind of overdriven, busy. I believe that God wants us to learn how to wait upon Him and only move when He asks us to. Jesus is real. The people of Israel followed God's orders and built the tabernacle, the place He would dwell among them. And then they were privileged to witness his presence descend on it as a cloud. Pastor Daniel shared today that when God's presence moved, the people followed. When he stopped, they stopped. As you go through your life, let God lead you this same way. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Jesus is Real program. And I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. So if that's you, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to know that you did it though because I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. 
Now, my team, we want to share some stuff with you, so don't go anywhere. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. You know, the Bible says that when one person comes to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. And we rejoice with them today if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive some resources that are going to help you in this new journey with Jesus, take out your mobile phone right now and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. Today concluded Pastor Daniel's tabernacle study, as well as his time in the book of Exodus. From the birth of Moses to the Israelites' deliverance from Egypt to the miraculous events at the Red Sea, God showed love and mercy to his people. They didn't always follow well and many times needed to repent of their sins, but God still wanted to be with them, and God wants to be with you too. Let him make you into a beautiful tabernacle, a place he can take up residency. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.